Welcome to Fully Vetted Animal Care News from the Clinic to the Farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. And here is your host, Mia Cunningham, and producer, Kristen Bennett. Thanks for joining us for episode 27 of Fully Vetted Podcast. I'm Kristen Bennett. Today, we're continuing our discussion of animal abuse reporting in Ohio. Since our last episode, House Bill 33 has gone into effect and veterinarians are now required to report suspected animal abuse. What else does the law say? In today's episode, OVMA Executive Director Jack Advent highlights key provisions of the law. After that, he and Dr. Allison Lash answer member questions about the law itself and how to handle certain sticky situations. But first, co-host Mia Cunningham has an announcement on an upcoming program for OVMA members. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Mia Cunningham, and I'm here today to bring special attention to the OVMA's Power of 10 program. Formerly known as the OVMA Leadership Development Program, the Power of 10 will launch May 19, 2021. This new program will cultivate participants' unique leadership style through a series of virtual seminars from May to September of 2021. A total of 13 hours of online, non-scientific CE are achievable to those who participate. The OVMA Power of 10 consists of five focus sessions on the following topics. We'll start off with insights, discovery, and assessment training with Dr. Heidi Hulon. Then we move on to a well-being boot camp with Dr. Elizabeth Strand. Next, we'll get comfortable getting uncomfortable with Dr. Mia Carey. From there, we'll move on to leadership and advocacy in veterinary medicine with OVMA Executive Director Jack Advent and OVMA Government Relations Director Michael Costella. We'll finish the program with a leadership and emotional intelligence session with Dr. Michelle Harkey. We're now accepting applications to join this year's cohort. This program is open to all OVMA members at any stage in their career, and there is no fee to participate. In order to qualify for consideration, candidates must be an OVMA member in good standing and commit to volunteering at an OVMA-sponsored event or participate on a planning committee upon program completion. The deadline to apply is Friday, April 30th. All applicants will be notified no later than May 7th regarding their acceptance to the program. For more detailed program information, including complete session descriptions, dates, and times, or to apply or nominate a candidate for program consideration, please visit our website at www.ohiovma.org. Now, I have the pleasure of serving as a staff liaison for this program, so please feel free to contact me with any additional questions or suggestions at mlc at ohiovma.org. So with that, let's talk a little bit about, first of all, why we're basically all here, which is House Bill 33. There has always been an ethical responsibility to report animal abuse in your profession. You know, we hope you don't see it, but we know that chances are at some point in your career, you probably are going to encounter at least one instance of that, if not more. And, you know, one of the key drivers of this legislation when it was introduced is there's a lot of very strong evidence with respect to the correlation between human violence and abuse in situations in the home towards children and or others living there and violence against animals. And so obviously, if we see violence against animals in a home, and we know that there are children or others in there who potentially might also be being uh, abused, 
that only reinforces the importance of reporting those situations, obviously for the welfare of the animal, but also for the welfare certainly of the people living in that house as well. About 20 states actually have a mandatory animal abuse reporting system in place. We talk to the, those state VMAs to get a sense, you know, what kinds of situations are there problems you've encountered? And quite honestly, in all those situations, there was no sense that it, it had created an emergence of a lot of problems for veterinarians. In fact, in some situations, they shared that veterinarians actually welcomed it, not just from an ethical standpoint, but also they felt that by having to report it, it actually allowed them to say to someone, look, I have to report this by law. It's not a question of me just making a determination, it's something I'm, I'm, I'm bound to do. So that kind of almost it takes you off the hook. So let's just talk uh, briefly about some of the key provisions that are in House Bill 33. The first one is that you must immediately report suspected animal abuse as a veterinarian. But it says you're going to contact a humane agent, which would be really the most recommended because those are the individuals that are, have some experience and would be, have the training and, and really probably know how to handle this better. You can also report it to law enforcement. Probably a lot of police departments would say, well, let's turn that over to the humane agent in our county. And every county has a, a, a humane agent. Okay, those are appointed by the court. There can be, a, there, there's at least one and some counties obviously have more than one. And then you can also report it to an animal control officer, your dog warden, et cetera. This law, House Bill 33, applies to companion animals. So a companion animal in the statute is a dog or cat, regardless of where it's kept, or any other animal which is kept in the residence. It does not apply to livestock and wildlife. With respect to livestock, it doesn't mean you can't turn that into a humane agent. A very logical place would be to go to the Department of Agriculture there, what are known as Livestock Care Standards, and ODA would send out an investigator. That's another option in addition to a humane agent. The law also says that your report can either be oral or it could be in writing. The report has to provide a description of the animal, the contact information of the owner or caretaker that you're aware of, the nature of suspected abuse. Why are you sharing this? And any other information that you would deem that would be relevant to that person that's going to investigate it. You're not having to prove it per se. You just have to have a reasonable suspicion that animal abuse may have occurred or is ongoing. Is there enough evidence there in your medical judgment to believe you should turn this over to someone to investigate? And it's their job and the court's job then to determine whether, in fact, this was a situation of animal abuse. So if you make a report in, in what is known as good faith, and in other words, just medically speaking, you, you've done it for the right reasons, you honestly believe, and you're not trying to, because you're mad at, the, at this individual and trying to get back at them or that type of thing. You make this as good faith as a veterinarian. House Bill 33 extends to you civil and criminal liability immunity for your report. In other words, you have an immediate defense if you were ever sued by that individual. In a situation where perhaps you didn't report, and there are some who believe that you should have, that failure to report situation is going to be reviewed by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Licensing Board. So you're going to have other medical professionals making that determination and judgment as to why, in this case, you didn't report it, and that you will be able to present at that point the information as why you elected not to do that. First violation is just a warning from the Veterinary Licensing Board, and it, it is actually confidential. It does not go into your record. It will not appear in the Veterinary Licensing Board website. 
And the reason being is that there's an honest sense that if, if you chose not to report, that it, it may have just been that you really didn't maybe have all the information ideally that you should have. And that once you've been made aware of that, that you would take steps in the future to then subsequently act and report when, when needed. Second violation, if, if after that warning, the fines, are, it's $100. And then anything after that is a $500 fine. Can you submit a report anonymously or based on hearsay? Under the provisions of House Bill 33, now you can't do that anonymously. I mean, as a veterinarian, you're required and, and you know, certainly the humane agent wants to know that you are a veterinarian because uh, they're going to give certainly more credence. So the answer to that question is no, it, it, you can't anonymously report and, and meet the criteria of House Bill 33. I would tell you about hearsay that Certainly, if someone comes to you and says, I think my neighbor is abusing their dog, you could say to that person, I would encourage you to call the local humane agent and talk mm-hmm. to them about that. You don't necessarily have to get involved because if you were involved, I think there would be a sense that you had seen the animal and would have actual medical knowledge of it, unless, of course, you had. Does the law require you to tell the owner before or after you file a report against them? You do not have to tell the owner you're reporting. You can. You know, I, I am very comfortable telling people I'm reporting them. And like Jack said, and, and I use this the same line too, where, you know, I'm, I'm obligated to report this. And now I can say I'm legally obligated to report this. And, and if people are like, well, but I didn't do anything. Well, if then if you didn't do anything, then there's not going to be a problem. You know, if there's issues, it's typically like the hoarder type stuff. You know, I'll tell folks, you know, you know look, this is the second cat you've brought to me that looks like this. You know, I'm, I'm concerned. You know, we did the hoarder cat question. How many cats do you have? And the number is somewhere between, you know, I don't know, and 25. And I tell them, I'm like, I'm going to report this. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to have your cats taken away. But but I do have to report this because, you know, I, th- I think you're in over your head and, and that stuff isn't going right. Or if it's if it's abuse, if somebody comes in and, and, you know, she said that her boyfriend beat the dog, you know, I'm okay telling her that, that I have to report this. Like with with humans, I think a lot of people understand that and even are very supportive of it. If you do inform the owner that you are reporting them, do you need to be concerned that they will flee with the animal or destroy evidence? Yes, we're always afraid people will destroy evidence. Um, We just had a case day before yesterday where somebody just moved a bunch of dogs as quick as they could. Yes, we always worry about that. Can you refuse to send an animal home with an owner if you suspect abuse? I would say no, but... I also would say, you know, where, where I am in a shelter environment, I, I always try to play just, you know, best interest of the animal. And even if they don't have any money, even if there's some issues, you know, just let me keep her, let me hospitalize her for the next day or so, so I can monitor her. You know, if, if there's anything you can do to keep the animal in a reasonable way, even if it's doing it overnight at no charge or long enough that you can get law enforcement there, I, I think that's something that you could do. That's a, a really good way to approach it, Allison. I think what you need to remember is that animals are property in the eyes of the law. And so you would refuse to give someone their property back on a suspicion. I, I think it would have to be extraordinary. I, I would I think what you suggested. Let, let me treat it while you try and get somebody else there to do and you know to, to act on it rather than you basically seizing their animal. Probably would present some problems for you. What if a parent reports their child caused harm to the animal? Do you report that? 
we do get instances of reported abuse at the hands of a child. And yes, I would absolutely report that. I, I think that is incredibly important to report. And that ends up being dealt with through uh, juvenile court. Do you report to humane agents in the county your practice is in or the county where your client lives? The law doesn't specify. I mean, part of me would think it would be where the client lives because it'd be easier for the humane agent to go investigate. What if you're not sure whether you should report a case? I work with a great humane agent who I run things past too. And sometimes it's just getting more comfortable with reporting. One final thought with respect to humane agents. I think it makes great sense if you don't know who your humane agent is in your county. It would be a good time to just pick up the phone and say, I just want to introduce myself. I know there's this new law and I just wanted to let you know who I am and find out who you are. And I hopefully I can bounce some things off of you as because I think you establish that relationship. It will help you with some of those iffy situations. So, you know, this is a good time to do that. It is nice. And it can be such a cool two-way street. You know, if there's anything that, that you can tell the agency that you can offer them, you know, even just having your contact information, because sometimes they have a really quick question and they don't have a vet on staff and they need to ask someone something. So it's a, a real neat line of communication to have open. How do you handle a situation in which an owner badmouths you on social media after you report them? Yeah, you know, that stinks. And and people are going to air their grievances wherever they can. You know, it's one of those things where you probably have to practice every ounce of your just self-control and discipline when somebody chooses to put that out there. I, I don't think there's much you can do. Well, I mean, and there's some resources on how to deal with just generally speaking, disgruntled people on social media. But I would say to you, that's one where you can honestly say, I reported because legally I'm required to. Yes. And, yes. and just leave it at that. I mean, one thing I think you have to remember is all of your counterparts in human health care have to do this now with respect to potential child abuse. Mm-hmm. And they go through these scenarios, and I, I'm sure. So I think if you chose to respond and simply said, I was meeting my legal obligation under Ohio law, end of story. I, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with that one. Conversely, I would also raise that if if it came out that you had a situation and you didn't report, someone might also choose to put something on social media there too. So I think mm-hmm. it could go both ways. Interesting. Yeah. And and sometimes, yeah, that is a good reply that, that I, I was obligated to report it. If someone does attack you on social media for reporting them, can you legally post a picture of the animal as a means to defend your decision? I would not do that. Particularly if you had the owner's name that was associated with that. It's a potential situation of defamation of their character. I I just would not post a picture. I think that you're getting into some privacy issues, and I just would not. Again, I would just simply say I was legally required to report. It's under investigation and leave it at that. I would not go any further than that. What if a client threatens you, your staff, or your family after you make a report? Yes, and in small communities, I totally get that and hear that, that that's a concern. And I think we all just have to know to recognize when someone might seem overly upset about something versus maybe somebody just might seem sad or just recognizing if you get that feeling that that something is more concerning than normal. If there's any threats, report those because people, just because you reported somebody, they can't threaten you, they can't stalk you, they can't be menacing um, and you can report that to local law enforcement. Do you think small town veterinarians are more at risk for retribution than someone attached to an organization like the APL or Humane Society? Uh, possibly. And 
I, I do think some of the smaller areas, yeah, are, are more visible, are more known as the vet rather than, you know, like me working at the beast of an organization that, that has so many people working there. And it's definitely something to, to be concerned about. But, you know, again, make sure that you are in contact with law enforcement and tell them of any concerns you have. And I, I think it's a very real concern a lot of people have. I'm not going to tell you, obviously, it can't happen and there would be some individuals who might be threatening. But again, I, I would go back to what I had stated early on as I had talked to my counterparts in other states where these laws have been in existence for some time. And it's not something that has commonly occurred. Can it happen? Of course it can. That's where you need to get local law enforcement involved. And again, it's kind of the same. It'd be no different than if one of your local physicians in town reported child abuse to the authorities. I mean, it's the same. I understand the, the concern, but it's kind of goes, I don't want to say it goes with the territory, but it's, it's an obligation. And I think it's important to remember most people in your community are absolutely going to applaud and respect you for doing the right thing. What if a client decides they do not want to euthanize their sick or injured animal and prefer to let the pet die naturally at home, despite being told this is unkind? If somebody just says, I I want him to die at home, okay, that's okay. But if you feel the animal is suffering and they are not providing some degree of treatment that you agreed upon, then that is a reportable case because they, they have to provide so the animal is not needlessly suffering. Is euthanasia of a relatively healthy pet considered abuse? I I don't think so because, you know, there's all different reasons to euthanize the animal. But again, it's know your resources. If if the animal's otherwise a healthy, friendly, rehomable animal, having a relationship with the local shelter, maybe you can call them and say, you know, hey, look, somebody has this two-year-old dog that's just a little crazy um, and they present it for euthanasia. Could you guys take it? I think the other thing is, as a veterinarian, you are not required to euthanize an animal. If you think it's healthy and you just don't feel comfortable, you can certainly present a lot of other options. But asking to euthanize a healthy pet, that's a stretch. It's a little bit of a gray area, but I would, I don't think you would, that would be viewed as abuse in the eyes of the law. Can you report an organization like a rescue? Ah, do you report rescues? Oh boy. Oh yes. So I lump rescues kind of into my hoarders because a lot of times, you know, again, good intentions gone wrong. Usually if you report the rescue, they're probably already on that county's radar, but it helps so much coming from a veterinarian that's actually seeing the cases. And with rescues, you know, sometimes we interact with rescues in different ways. Sometimes you end up cleaning them out. You end up shutting them down. Other times, there might just be some education or maybe they need some help. We take some animals from them. But when they have issues, yes. What if you make a report and the same client continues to bring in sick or injured animals? If, if that's the case, report again, call, um, use that relationship that you have. And then if you're ever concerned that your report isn't going where it needs to go, escalate that report, whether it's to a supervisor, um, if, if the humane agents are through a, uh, an animal shelter, to the director of the animal shelter, uh, the veterinarian, if there's one there, if you're comfortable talking to them. And I would just tell you, in the, with respect to House Bill 33, every time you see it, you should report it. Try and see if there are others who can get involved if you don't feel it's being acted upon, but that's not really something that you can necessarily influence or act upon other than what Allison already shared. And please feel free to email me with questions. I don't know everything, but but I've I've done quite a bit and I'm happy to answer questions or point you toward resources that might help.
As always, we've posted materials mentioned in this episode and other resources in the show notes. Click the link in the episode description or visit www.fullyvettedpodcast.com and click on episode 27. In our next episode, we're kicking off Mental Health Awareness Month with a new series on veterinary well-being. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe and be well. The Ohio Veterinary Medical Association is always seeking ways to enrich your member experience. To access resources mentioned in this episode, share your feedback and suggestions, and send us an email or voice message, please visit www.fullyvettedpodcast.com. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen so you never miss an episode. I'm Kristen Bennett, and on behalf of the OVMA, thanks for listening to Fully Vetted. We'll see you next time.